Cloud9 gets their first summer trophy since forever, it feels like. I think 2013. Jensen gets his first trophy with Cloud9. That's a first in forever. And we got a lot to get into. Um, we got to talk about why C9 was just a step above pretty much everyone in playoffs. Uh, we talked about the results of EG. Were, would they be different? Not exactly a fair question, but would they be different with Danny? And even though it's not a fair question, everyone's wondering. And, well, did 100 Thieves choke? Some people will say yes. Some people will say no. Some people will just say C9 was just better. Uh, and then, of course, world groups have been drawn. JNT and I will get into that a little bit. This is episode 100, guys. We have made it. 100. Episode 100 of the Clown Fiesta podcast with Blue Jay and JNT250. JNT, initial thoughts on the weekend? Uh, it was a banger. I'm unfortunately yeah. not wearing my Cloud9 jersey. It's packed away at the current moment, but... You know, I was going to ask, how come you, you got to wear the Cloud9 jersey? Just yeah, travel around too much? Got things all packed up? Yeah, it's packed. Getting Fair ready enough. to getting ready to be moved. But, you know, dominance out of Cloud9, basically. Um, going into playoffs, yeah. definitely weren't perceived as a threat for the title. Uh, maybe I shouldn't say that. Not, they weren't. They didn't have the best chance to win the title based on the playoff position. They weren't perceived as the threat. Let's put it that way. They weren't the threat rather rather than what happened yeah but 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 basically going into playoffs you know i don't think cloud people expected cloud nine to really make this kind of miracle run from the fifth seed obviously people now know they're the lowest seed to ever win a split um the previous ones i think there were three of them that were fourth um but basically cloud nine just seemed to figure it out at the right time and you kind of saw other teams falling apart at the wrong time you know when you take a look at eg regardless of their performance in the series this weekend less danny but also in their series against cloud nine in the upper bracket against uh team liquid and tsm in the lower brackets and speaking of team liquid obviously the biggest disappointment of playoffs so far so you know cloud nine just figured it out at the right time and was really capitalizing on some of these other team struggles and it feels weird to call it a miracle run but I don't know what else to call it, honestly. Because normally, like, Miracle Run is consistent with someone who went down to the lower bracket and then made the run. But this was, like, they were underdogs for a different reason because they were the fifth seed going into playoffs and they just absolutely ran the bracket. Um, so kind of a different version, but I, I, I guess a different way of looking at a Miracle Run, if you want to call it that. Yeah, but uh, obviously... Um, I was going to say. I was just going to say, let's get into the first series. Let's exactly. get into 100 EG. That's where the weekend started. And the weekend started really, really weird, right? Because obviously, we'll get into the Danny stuff in a second. But obviously, that's a big curveball going into the weekend, right? You don't know really what to expect. A lot of people really heavily, 100, uh, heavily favoring 100 Thieves. A lot of people saying EG is going to take it anyways. And well, what do you know? We went five games. What a, what a surprise. Yeah, I, I'm trying to recall to our previous predictions from last week, and I think we both took 100 Thieves. Um, and this was even before we found out about the Danny news of him not being able to play this weekend and Kyori or Kaori. What's his name? How do they say it? Kaori. Kaori? Kaori. Yep. One of them weird names. Just think of a cow. Yeah, Just Kaori. think of a cow. That's all. It's Kaori. But regardless of the situation, I think people expected the series to be very, very competitive. And then after the announcement came out where Danny wasn't going to be playing this weekend, I think a lot of people really flipped towards the 100 Thieves side if they were on the EG side. And even more so if you were already on 100 Thieves, you know, I think definitely the, the sort of vibe around this series switched from a very close 3-2 to more of a one-sided 3-1 or 3-0. That's what people were expecting coming into it. However, I think EG put up 
a much better performance from what we've seen over the last two weeks within the lower bracket against teams like TSM and Team Liquid. And honestly, I thought that EG was going to win this series based on what I was seeing early in the games. I thought Kauri actually stepped in and played really, really well. I think that people were kind of of the opinion that Kauri was going to be a, you know, a big problem because with the meta being so AD carry focused, you know, it's kind of all on him and it's it's about him and he's going to crack under the pressure. But I actually kind of got the opposite feeling with it. Um, because the meta is so bot lane focused, you're just going to naturally get more attention and resources, which will kind of take less pressure off of you. Obviously, this didn't happen. But for example, if a player like Impact was out for the weekend and you had a very young top laner stepping in, I feel like that is a much worse situation for a team like Evil Geniuses, where they play very heavily mid and bot side focused to begin with and kind of leave top lane on an island. And, you know, everybody knows top lane, like the lane can change so much should one bad, you know, uh, you, you die, you die to a dive, you mess up your wave and you get heavily punished for it. You get solo killed. You know, the game can really snowball out of control for solo lane. So I think Kauri kind of came into a, a bit of a better situation than normal emergency substitutes um, are normally put in. And I think that he actually performed really, really admirably you know, didn't really make a whole lot of mistakes in lane, which I think is likely to likely where we would see a lot of mistakes from a rookie player in lane. But he actually played really, really well in lane. Um, I think he kind of lost some of his mojo throughout the series. And I don't know if that's the case because he hasn't really been a pro for that long and maybe doesn't have a ton of best of five experience because I think you could kind of see his performances drop slowly throughout the series. But I don't think that he was, you know, a nuisance or problematic for the team. I think that 100 Thieves was the better team. It was a slugfest of a series, but Cowrie still did a pretty good job stepping in. I agree with pretty much everything you said. Um, I, first of all, yes, I do think he played admirably. And honestly, with a player going into that scenario, the dream from like your teammates and your coaching staff is just don't run it down, man. Like just just plug in, do your thing, and just don't stand out in a terrible way. And he didn't, honestly. That's all you could really ask for a player in that scenario, right? Um, you also mentioned how like you think it's an easier thing to plug in the ADC than you would like to replace impact in the top lane. I think that's a really fair point, honestly. Because it, the the game is way more difficult to play without getting resources, right? Mm -hmm. And and you're punished for one, mistakes we, way more. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And a lot of times the game snowballs if like a top laner gets dove and he uses TP to get back and gets dove again, and then the game is just lost through that. So I think that's a really fair point. Um, in game one, 100 Thieves gets off to a really big lead. Things are going there. I shouldn't say really big lead, but a a fair lead. And things are going their way. And then there was the one play where they tried to gift the kill to Abadage in the top lane. You remember what I'm talking about? Yeah. And then they get collapsed on. I mean, 100 Thieves kind of griefed that entire play. One, whether it's pro play or solo queue, I definitely understand that you should you should try to gift kills to, you know, certain champions. Azir is definitely a champion who would much rather have that 300 gold than the Poppy jungle. However, when you're in a play, you know, like exactly what was going on, where it was a topside play that had been turned around from 100 Thieves' side, and at the same time, you saw both bot lanes collapsing to the top side, and 100 Thieves actually opted to not bring their bot lane continuing topside and instead have them go mid lane to catch the wave that JoJo was pushing out. One, that to me, that was like kind of the most puzzling decision of all, especially since that it was pretty obvious that the winner of that fight was going to shove out top and take Rift Herald, and I think 100 Thieves kind of got greedy with, uh, you know, it was like, okay, we're going to get this kill and we're going to five at it because we're going to go catch mid wave, get the mid wave, then get Herald control, then go push out top lane, then take the Herald. 
and it just kind of felt like 100 thieves got way too greedy one was trying to gift over the kill and two abandoning their bot lane running up to the play instead to catch the mid wave that jojo had shoved in and that was pretty much where the game like completely flipped on its head and you know yeah, it, it really did you know you had this really strong you know early to mid game comp from 100 thieves with the poppy jungle atrox top two really like strong mid game champions and then the senna tom kench who obviously has a very strong you know mid game and has great uh fighting power around rift heralds because they're ultimates and you, you kind of just saw the game slip out of their hands after that play. You know, it then sort of flipped over to EG side of things where I talked about this. I don't know if it was last week or two weeks ago, but with the Lushinami, I see this way more as a, a mid-game, you know, powerhouse rather than an early game powerhouse. And Lushinami just got fed and Victor was fed and Trundle just would shred through whatever target they wanted to because the ult's so powerful against tanks. And that one play pretty much defined game one. I, I don't think there was a whole lot else to kind of take away from that because the winner of that play was basically going to win the game. And like I said, 100 Thieves got a little bit greedy and kind of decided to grief it a bit. I don't know. So I I, I differ with you a little bit here. I, I could agree with the not rotating your bot lane because usually you're right. That's where you take Herald and you can snowball the game there. I actually felt bad for them where it like, it took, I cannot believe it took like an extra, I, I was counting, I was looking at the timer as I was re-watching the games. It took an extra nine seconds to pick up that kill. But like, there's no world you would ever expect it to take that long. And I think in so, so many scenarios, the kill is just given over to the Azir and you go on with life as usual. However, I do think ABBA played it a little bit bad. Like, I think he used his soldiers a little bit poorly, and so he got away for that. I didn't mind the gifting of the kill. I think it was a little bit of a, of a mistake from Abadage. But I do see where you're coming from as far as the bot lane is concerned. But anyways, because they do that, and because it took an extra nine seconds, well, the bot lane, uh, EG's bot lane does get there in time. And then, of course, they end up cleaning that up. And back to the point earlier where we were saying, you want to just give the resources to your AD carry, there was a double kill for, for Kauri. And that is like the dream start to a series, right? Things are going absolutely great there. Um, and I don't think you could ask for any more. You mentioned... Uh, how like as the series went on you started to see a little bit of holes in his gameplay um and i agree with that as well um the couple of them that stand out to me one uh, this is a little picky to be fair but one there's a team fight around uh their own red buff where he wastes his spell shield that one i i don't blame him for too much because it looks like he's about to get a mumu q onto him um and he just dodges it and kind of wastes the spell shield yeah fine lots of players do that but then there's one where um it's a dragon fight and who he lands the Amumu Q that doesn't get spell shielded. And Amumu has no flash. So if your thought process was, I'm not going to spell shield this because he's going to flash and ulti me anyways, that was not a possibility. He had no flash. And it is your job, not just your job, but it's anyone's job on the team to know the other team's summoner spell timers. And you need to know that Amumu has no flash there and that you need to spell shield the Amumu Q. He gets queued, closer sees it, flash, uh, flash Poppy E, and then the game swings in their favor in that particular game. Not sure exactly which game that was, but that was an obvious, like, you got to be able to react spell shield to the Amumu Q. How does that um, interaction work with spell shield and the Amumu Q? Like, you know, you won't get this, you won't get stunned or you won't take damage, but does Amumu still travel onto you? I don't think he does. No. Oh, okay. It's not My like, uh, is no. Well, cause I'm trying to think of other interactions that work like that, because I think if you spell shield like Threshook, isn't the hook still actually latch onto no. you and you can get dashed at? I don't think so, no. Mm. Now you're making me question, but I think that's a no. 
Yeah, I'm not sure. I, I I have a weird feeling like that there's some sort of spell shield interaction with one of those kind of hook spells where you'll still get jumped on, but you just won't get stunned or take the damage, but I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't think it's the case. If anyone wants to correct us, feel free to do that in live chat or in the comment section. But um, to me, that's something that you need to be able to spell shield, and I think that that's a mistake, and that ends up costing them, right? Yeah, that was game four, right? Where who was on the Amumu? I couldn't remember exactly which game it was. Yeah. I just remember the play, and I remember thinking, like, ugh, that looks rough. Yeah. I, That's all I remember thinking. Yeah. The other main thing where I think you kind of saw the difference between Cowrie and Danny was in game two, uh, where it just seemed to be a lot of breakdowns in communication on the EG side. Uh, you kind of had that fight around the red buff dragon area at 18 minutes, where... Kauri and Vulcan are standing on like the the top part of the red buff brush that's on the opposite wall and you have Closer who's or not Closer sorry you have uh, Inspired who's engaging on the poppy on the other side and they're getting zoned and Inspired's kind of continually going in and you then see almost 10 minutes later in the kind of game ending team fight where Jojo kind of jumps in 1v3 on Akali and it's as he's going in it's the same time that Kauri is jumping out of the fight because the Aatrox sort of jumps on him you know who, who really knows whose fault that is because we don't hear the comms but Presumably, the communication is a lot different with a different player in, um, whether it's just, you know, habits or, you know, Cowrie's, you know, thinking a lot about his gameplay, not as much about his voice and whatnot. So it felt like, you know, game two, while I think he was still having a pretty strong game individually, I think that was the main difference you saw in terms of, you know, EG's, how would you say, like, uh, their comfort with just their starting roster and having a different player come in who may not communicate the same way or communicate as much, or there's going to be communication differences. I feel like in game two is really where you saw that, but you know, on the 100 thief side of things, you know, I thought that uh Sunday actually had a pretty good series for the most part. He had a couple bad games, but in the wins, he was really, really strong. Yeah. And to, to your point about, basically just the differences between Danny and Cowrie. Do doesn't it just feel not fair? <laughs> like, I get, the whole situation that he's put in is just not fair. But it feels like to criticize a player being put in that situation, it just feels, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I feel like crap kind of criticizing. But when you ask the question, was there a difference between these two players? I think the answer comes back to saying yes. Um, now, you could make the argument, because we see, we saw Danny was not performing very well in playoffs, and obviously, most people are speculating that that's in big part due to the mental health issues that he's been having. So maybe if you want to argue that the way Danny's been playing, the way he's the mental state that he's in right now, we there wouldn't have been a better performance out of Danny. Sure, I think the argument is if Danny was healthy and he was playing the way that we've seen him play all summer split long, then then there's a difference, right? Yeah, I definitely think there would be a difference, especially considering the series was so close. And there were these really important team fights in some of these games, pretty much like I said in game two, where the game winning team fight from the 100 Thieves side to me seemed like a breakdown in communication from EG's side. And when you don't have your starting lineup and you have a different player in, and that different player is replacing your star player, your star carry, you're definitely going to feel an impact in performance, regardless of how Cowrie performed. I mean, obviously, if Cowrie had a horrible performance, you, you would obviously say that there would have been a difference. But despite his pretty good performance, um, you know, I think having Danny in there would just be even better. Yeah. And that's where it comes, but like that, that goes back to the, why it's not fair part. You're replacing one of the best 80 carries in the league. Mm -hmm. Um, aside from that, I, I, I think the biggest like player that got robbed 
uh, on the weekend, I think was Jojo. He had such a good series and he hard stomped Abadage. Like hard, hard stomp. And you know what it was kind of reminding me of? It kind of reminded me of the start of the split because Abadage got off to a pretty slow start where he just got kind of destroyed and laying on the regular. That's what it felt like was happening this series. Um, we saw Abadage play so much this year. And I remember saying it last week, like it, he's so good on these picks. Like you don't, you want to get him off of these picks. It didn't matter. They were ready for it. And it didn't matter that he was playing a zero every game. They had different picks for it. The Akali was great into it. The Silas was great into it. When you have more than one answer and you hard style on that guy, I honestly think Abadage walked out of this weekend being a little bit embarrassed, to be to be honest. Yeah, I think Ichi had a really good game plan for what 100 Thieves likes to do, especially when they put Abadage on these more control mage champions. I think there's really, there's really two different sides of Abadage. There's Abadage on the control mage, which is damage limitation, closer doesn't even pay attention to mid, and it's just about not dying and scaling. And then there's the other side of Abadage, which we saw in a couple games this series, where they get him on the, you know, they get him on the Talia, they get him on the Ari, and he he's a playmaker. And it, it's, you know, you you saw exactly what EG wanted to do against that when EG, sorry, when 100 Thieves went Control Mage, you saw EG go for the Silas Akali with Heavy Ganker Jungler, and they basically trade Flash. They went to trade Flash every time pre six. They they would literally run mid. Inspire would burn uh, Abadagi's flash, and then they return getting at level six for almost a guaranteed kill. And then, kind of, when you saw on the flip side from the hundred thief side, when they put Abadagi on the playmaker, specifically that Talia in game four, you really saw, you know, kind of a stark difference in gameplay, especially the way that Closer and Abadagi were playing the rest of the map. And I guess not to say that that could be a weakness of one hundred thieves, because sometimes their game plans can be a bit obvious depending on the kind of strategy they bring into the draft. Uh, but at the same time, they're so good on some of those strategies, especially when they have Abadagi on these playmakers, that it it just really changes the whole look of the game, you know, or I, I, I guess I should say look of the series from game to game. Yeah, and I think it, I, I said Abadagi is probably embarrassed, and, and I definitely think that, but I think it's a little bit worse when like, I think it's worse when it's Silas because he ends up playing your champion better than you. You know what I mean? And that's kind of what we saw with the Azir shuffles. Um, now, Abadage did still have some nice ones over the weekend. I don't want to dismiss that. But it does look really bad where a guy steals your ulti and does more with it than you do. That's always kind of rough. But I feel like anyone who isn't a 100 Thieves fan has to be absolutely loving this, right? Because you see the North American young talent absolutely smashed the european import and i feel like 90 percent of lcs fans were probably just absolutely loving seeing jojo absolutely show up yeah i i think i said this last week but i still kind of am of the opinion that jojo was the best performing bid um for the summer split and i think he kind of continued that for the majority of playoffs you know i know that jensen really had a fantastic playoffs but i think i would still you know, I would just take the performances of JoJo from what we've seen this year. I think he, for me, um, including playoff performances, was the best player on EG this year. I know Inspire did win the MVP, had a really strong summer split, but I think his playoffs was a lot weaker than his, uh, his summer split. And I think JoJo, I, man, I, I'm just really excited to see him play in the future, especially with an additional offseason with presumably, you know, another year to gel with this EG roster. I know we might get into it a little bit later when we talk about the teams, you know, in the end of their season, you know, after Worlds, because obviously all these teams are going to Worlds, but it's difficult for me to, 
see EG making a lot of changes unless they like truly bomb out of worlds. So, because uh, I, I think it's pretty safe to assume that you might see inspired uh, JoJo, Danny, and Vulcan stick around. Um, like I said, that that could be subject to change based on world's performances. But this is a team that I definitely see, and JoJo as a player, I, I see being in the LCS for a long time and playing at a high level. Well, and because... it could be subject to uh, Danny's mental health as well. If we're talking about this team staying together, yeah, like, maybe. There's no way of knowing. And everything, like, it's all speculation at this point as to how long Danny's going to be out for. But, yeah, it's all speculation as well as to, like, what the roster will look like next year because these are so, like, just rare and different circumstances. Um, but I think your your main point stands that, like, this team does look very good together and they gel together, and we've seen so much improvement with this roster playing together. And so I think that's uh, a definite sign for them to obviously want to stay together and try to uh, at the very least, um, depending of course on how things go at worlds. Yeah. Uh, just a quick thing, Mr. Epics in the live chat asking, do we know if Danny is going to play at worlds? So we don't at the moment, everything I keep hearing from people is that it's looking like it's unlikely. Um, really? But also that is all, that's also speculation. Yeah. I, I guess the other thing to consider about that is plan starts in like two and a half, three weeks. So yeah, there's not a lot of time. Yeah, there just really isn't a lot of time. And I think if you decide to roll out with Kauri beginning in plans, it's probably safe to assume that he's going to play the rest of the way. Um, um, once again, uh, they'll probably make an announcement about this. But I think if what you say is true, if, if you know the rumor is that Kauri's going to be playing and Danny's not going to be playing, I think it's safe to assume that we're prob that's, that'll be the last we see of Danny this year. Yeah, and in the live chat again, any idea what happened to him or what caused it? Again, it's all just speculation. All we know is that he's having some mental health issues. Um, and you could point back to um, uh, MSI, where I remember him tweeting out. Or I don't know if it was tweeting. It was something along he the lines of like he felt like it, yeah. people were against him or something like that. Yeah, which and he said he felt really so burnt out. Sad. It's so sad because like it feels from our perspective like it couldn't be anything further from the truth i'm sure there's always haters i don't i don't want to discount that like he's not i, I don't want to make it sound like he's not dealing with anything but i just wish he knew how much the fans absolutely love him um it's just sad that a few bad people you would have to presume can completely taint uh your motivation your mental health all that stuff but um it is pure speculation at this point as to what uh, he's going through and i i think that's for the best i think it's um up to him to decide whether he wants to go public with what's going on and i think eg has pretty much just left it as he's having some mental health issues and that's pr pretty much it right now yeah and especially him being a really young player um i think it's important for him to take a step back and you know correct whatever might be going wrong because him being a very yeah, young player and him never, being like, him being a great player never going to help anything and him being a young player and a great player he presumably wants to have a long career and you know for the most part careers in esports are pretty short especially as professional players especially in league of legends when it can be pretty cutthroat in terms of who's starting and who's not so definitely feels like danny seems to be looking out uh, in the long term, I mean, you know, I say Danny, but, you know, maybe it was a decision that, you know, him and his family or him and whoever uh, made. But Danny's a player with a bright, bright future. And I think, you know, sacrificing one world championship for potentially two, three, four appearances down the line 
is definitely going to be worth it in the long term. Yeah. Uh, last thing on this series that I want to really highlight, I thought who he had a really, really good series. Yeah, I mean, um, we obviously got to talk about the game five. Weekend, yeah, his Soraka this weekend was so, so good. Um, yeah, I don't I can't say enough good things. I think the this reminds me back to when he was playing the, the Seraphine as well and how he was always ulting the back line of TL when they were playing them. I, it just makes me realize more and more how good he is at team fighting and how he understands the way to win team fights. I cannot give enough credit to who he. I thought he had really, really solid team fights over the weekend. Yeah, and even in this series, it just further proved how important he is, especially with his champion pool um, and the value that he brings to 100 Thieves because they ran like a different bot lane almost every single game. They ran Senatom Kench, they ran Sivir Yumi, they ran Sarah or Zeri Lulu, they ran the Soraka with the Zeri, and then they also ran whatever they did with the Amumu. But I mean, he's just a beast, straight up. Uh, yeah, I, I think he's he's slowly, I feel like slowly overtaking FBI in terms of like importance to the team. Not to really flame FBI for that. I just think that who he really does seem to be coming into his own and he's just so valuable to 100 Thieves. And I think especially, you know, going into this world championship, support has become such a more valuable role in terms of the impact that it can have on a team, especially when you look at teams like uh, T1 or uh, even G2 with how important their supports are to the team, especially how important it is to have a wide champion pool, especially when it comes to best of fives. And that's really one of who he strengths to me seems to be his ability to whip out so many different picks and best of fives. Yeah. And there's a couple of plays that I want to reference with his Soraka straight pugging in the live chat points out one of them, the silence when Abadagi gets hit by a charm by Jojo, which God, that happened a lot over the, over the series. But anyway, uh, he gets hit by a charm. Vulcan goes into flash polymorph and who he has the silence ready. That is such a clutch play. Abadage ends up getting a really nice shuffle after that on the Azir that ends up winning them the team fight. And that doesn't happen if it weren't for the silence. And the other play is when he flashes in to heal someday uh, over the, at the Rift Herald fight, just another really clutch play keeping guys alive. Um, those were the two standout plays. And I'm sure there were others, but those are the ones that come to mind. Uh, yeah, I, I could go on for days. Let's just say he had a, a really good um, Soraka game. Who he's a beast. Okay. Um, before we move on to the next series, I do want to thank everyone that's been sticking with us. The last couple of weeks, I've told you guys to go back and look at our YouTube views just to see, like, it's not anything crazy, but there's definitely been growth. And I told you guys how much the likes and subscribe and, and the subscribing helps us. Last week, we had our best week ever. And so I just want to give a huge shout out to you guys for that. We can't even tell you how much that means to us. We had a really great week, and it's in big part to you guys hitting the like button, commenting, and subscribing. I know it's cliche. I know. But it goes a long, long way. And so we saw a lot of growth this past week uh, because of that. And so if you can, and if you're enjoying the episode, do hit the like button, leave a comment, and hit the subscribe button my god is it helping um hopefully we can only dream to replicate next week um not counting on it but that would be great yeah. uh let's get into the finals jnt um the first 3-0 we had all of playoffs yeah that was quite surprising uh, there was a lot of people favoring c9 uh, i was not one of them but i don't know if anyone expected the series to just be this much of a hard stomp my god man yeah it, it feels like 
you know, this finals was very similar to what we saw last year in the finals where we were expecting a really close series between both teams. Um, you know, uh, the, the phrase I've kind of been saying with 100 Thieves is consistency is key. And, you know, it was kind of, to me, uh, before, you know, this finals happened, it was, can Cloud9 continue these dominant performances that we've seen from them the entire playoffs? Can all five players continue to dominate their opponents in lane, which gives Blabber the ability to also just do whatever the hell he wants and just permanently engage? And, yep, we, we pretty much saw the same thing. Cloud9 basically dominated every single game from start to finish. Everybody was winning every single lane. Um, and I don't know, Cloud9 just made it look easy, which I think was quite surprising considering that no series has been easy the entirety of playoffs. And I think the biggest reason for me, I mean, there's a few reasons, but the biggest reason for me why C9 was just a pure step above 100 Thieves was mostly because they had more weapons ready. That's the way it seemed to me. Going into game one, like, first of all, we saw the series last week. Was it last week that C9 played 100 two weeks ago? Two, oh, um, whatever it was. No, last week. I think it was two weeks ago. No, was it, was it not last week? I don't know. Whatever it was, C9 absolutely ran them over and they played the Zeri with it. And well, you thought there's no way they're going to let them get Zeri again. <laughs> they did. And 100 Thieves' answer into the Zeri was to play Malphite. And I'm looking at it going, so your answer is to play Malphite because you can alt the Zeri. But you last picked the Malphite giving Fudge Kennen a free lane, and they have it paired with a Nocturne. Nocturne Kennen is a great combo. Not knowing where Kennen's coming from is scary as fuck. Um, and they, they performed really, really well on it. I mean, they still outplayed them everywhere on the map. So the combo is kind of irrelevant when you just get outplayed everywhere. But the fact that that was their answer coming into the series was the biggest uh, uh-oh sign for me. Uh, once I saw that draft, I was like, oh, they are not ready. Yeah, and one thing that was super different from the series against EG to the series against Cloud9 from the 100 Thieves side, and I kind of learned this by watching the VOD or the Doublelift's YouTube video that he uploaded of him watching or co-streaming the finals, he was really harp harping on the Soraka pick and especially how it interacts with the Zeri Sivir matchup. And he was saying that Soraka in the game five against EG was so strong because Zeri outranges Sivir. And he said, in this case, you know, they don't have the Zeri, they actually have the Sivir. So it makes that pick a lot more useless because your AD carry can't really play up into their face with the permanent heals of Soraka being behind them. And I thought that was super interesting considering, one, I don't know bot lane matchups at all. But to hear that, you know, the Soraka pick in this game was never going to be as effective as it was last game because of how the bot lane matchup works with Zeri having the rage advantage, I thought was super interesting. And I'll, I'll echo what you said right at the beginning. Last picking the Malphite into a Zeri, which, yes, Malphite is a great way to lock down any AD carry, regardless of whatever AD carry they're playing. At the same time, yeah. you need to look at the rest of the team comp and see how terrible Malphite is, is of a pick into the rest of the team comp. You have a champ like Nocturne, who can spell shield, you know, the Malphite ultis from long distance. You have Kennen, who's going to get the free lane, scale up, and team fight really, really well. And you have the super slippery LeBlanc that you're almost never going to hit an ulti against unless you're, like, melee range ultying her. It, it just... It felt like a really tunnel vision type pick, just saying, oh my god, Berserker's been surfing on Zeri. We need to kill him. We need, we need a pick that's going to absolutely shut him down in teamfights. And they just never reached a point where they could actually relevantly teamfight because the game was just over. Like, I guess the only, if you want to even call it a teamfight, was the 2v3 that Cloud9 opted into on the top side of the map. And you just saw the power of the cannon 
especially in that team fight, blew up. Well, I mean, they didn't all die, but basically chunked all three of those champions from full HP almost to like 40% HP. And then Blabber's just whacking them with auto attacks until they die and all have to run away, blow their flashes. And you really just never got to reach that kind of a team fighting point where you saw the strengths of Malphite and Soraka because they were into bad lanes. That to me was how you knew C9 was on and specifically Blabber. Cause I, I, I mean, maybe it's fudge making the call, but I assumed it was Blabber making the call. Cause he's the one playing the Nocturne going in. And he's a people. fucking psycho. But when yeah, when I saw that, I was like, "Blabber is on right now" because he is taking this two v three. They blew three flashes. They picked up a kill. I think they also blew two other sums. They they made they made one hundred thieves really regret trying to walk up to that tower. And that was when you know when Blabber is on when he's taking these engages and coming out on top two v three. That's that's when you know C 9s in a good spot and when when Blabber's on. So that was also another sign where you're like, "Oh shit." One, again, 100 thieves, they ain't ready for this. Yeah, and you, you, <clears throat> to me, going into game two, once again, when you kind of saw the draft, it was just like, I mean, we, we say this all the time, we are not ones to say draft gap or like this, the draft won, won or lost this team the game. But We try to avoid it. Yeah. Sometimes you can't. But especially... Sometimes you gotta be like, wait, 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 what was that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, especially in game two, when you give over the zillion to Jensen with a really powerful jungler in Wukong, Plus on the 100 Thieves side of thing, they kind of gave up, you know, the lead in terms of top lane. They were like, hmm, we can't really blind pick. We, we can't really pick a blind pickable top laner because Fudge has way too many champions to pick into us. So we're actually going to blind pick Fiora and try to ban out some of the counters to it. However, you know, Fudge having a really wide champion pool also can just take a really comfortable matchup into it. I know that he didn't necessarily like dominate someday in the 1v1 and someday actually kind of had what seemed to be a little bit of the upper hand. But Jax has a yep. scaling advantage. Jax also has the team fight advantage. And, uh, you know, you kind of just saw Fudge do exactly what he needed to do within that game. And like I said, you just saw the absolute power of Zillion and Wukong in team fights. That, like, that combo just seems so strong. Like, Wukong just wasn't dying fast enough for the Zillion ults to be relevant because he has so much healing and uh, extra armor from his passive. It was just like, Blabber was going in trying to die as Wukong, and he just wasn't because he was healing too much or taking True. no damage. It was kind of funny to watch. Yeah, or he would get, he would dash in with the E and just clone his way out. Yeah. And that 100 Thieves was winning that game, and it all seemed to swing off of something that's so small. But as soon as that Rift Herald, the eye got stolen, right? They <laughs> kind of had the, the eyeball pointed the wrong yeah. way. C9 just hit it and stole it. I feel like there was like a small lapse of concentration or something because when I'm rewatching that, I see it happen and you go, oh shit, it happens, whatever. But you see Blabber on mid wave and you see him walk towards 100 Thieves Raptors and Red Buff, of course. So someone on that team needs to say, guys, he's going for our red. Clearly no one does. Or if they do, FBI just completely ignored it because FBI ends up getting engaged on over the wall and just insta killed. And then 100 Thieves continues to take the extended fight without an AD carry. So they lost. Like, <laughs> big surprise. I, that was really, um, I guess, uncharacteristic, perhaps. And when I asked the question at the start of the show, did 100 Thieves choke? My initial instinct is no, because I just think C9 was so much better. And I think I want to give more credit to C9. But that is a choke play, if, in, in my opinion. Someone on the team's got to call that. I, I, I don't know. Um, so I guess what I'm saying is there's a world where you could say 100 Thieves did choke, but also C9 was just better. And I think that we're kind of living in that world where 
uh, both apply. Yeah, it's the, the Rift Herald especially was just kind of one of those one of those plays where you're behind in a series and yeah, sure you're kind of a little bit ahead in the game, but it just takes the wind out of your sails because, you know, yeah, especially kind of in this meta right now where we see teams I wouldn't even say flipping Herald, but teams are putting so much priority on Rift Herald when you're the team that is committing to the Herald and putting more resources into it and you either lose it or it gets stolen so you don't get the Herald. I mean, the main thing is about getting the Herald, but if you don't get the Herald... It's kind of flipping it, though, it, it in is, North America, specifically. Yeah. Like, CLG's a flipper. Yeah, Blabber, I'm not even going to say C9. I'm going to say Blabber's a flipper. Yeah, Blabber flips shit a uh, lot. Who else would flip? They flipped I guess maybe the, dude, they hardcore flipped that Baron in game one as well. Like, that was kind of troll. But, I mean, they were so far ahead, it didn't really matter. It was just about doing the objective and forcing a fight. But my point here is... Usually TL's not flipping it because they're just they're usually not doing way ahead. Shit. But, I mean, the point being is that flipping Herald is kind of an NA thing. And maybe other regions do it too. I haven't been watching other regions in the last month or so. But definitely a North American thing to flip that goddamn Herald. Yeah, but, I mean... Back to my point, it just it just sucks when you, you know you're behind in the series already. You're going for this big play and you kind of just fall flat on your face and then continue to take a bad fight. And then I um, mean, it, it just mentally the game felt over after game two. Like it just kind of felt like and 100 so Thieves was not going to come back. It does suck, and, and we don't know if that absolutely tilted them. I'm kind of speculating just because they made a mistake that like they didn't see the jungler invade after he just showed on the wave. That's why I had the feeling that it was tilt. Um, so we don't know if it's absolutely tilt, but if it was tilt, let's pretend we live in a world where it was tilt and that's what got the best of them. You got to be able to handle that, right? Like you got to be able to handle Harold getting the eyeball hit and it getting stolen away. Like that is not the biggest game swing and you still need to remain focused. So if that's what tilts you, you don't really deserve to win. And well, I mean, they didn't. So yeah. And then uh game three happened and cloud nine decided to make the most idiotic jungle level one flip i've ever seen in my life especially up 2-0 in the series <laughs> that's that's the thing that's baffling to me is that cloud nine went for this play while they were up 2-0 in the series because that kind of you you gave 100 thieves exactly what they were looking for you were they were clearly defeated within the series they were not looking good and cloud nine kind of gave them the opportunity to take control of game three really early on and especially with the talia like that really just was quite puzzling to me that cloud nine decided to go for this flip i understand that if they get it they win the game which they did but it just in the long run seems like a bad play to me to go for like a flip when you're I gotta up to zero back a little bit i gotta push back a little bit here i could understand if you don't like the invade altogether to me i think it's irrelevant whether it's game one two three seventeen it doesn't matter really i think, I think that's think the play is good I think you either think the play is good or think the, the play is bad, depending on team comp and depending on prio and all that kind of stuff. I, I don't think you can be like, I don't think you can make your decisions based off of which game in the series it is. Maybe draft. Like I could see draft being like, it's game five, let's get on comfort. But once those champions are picked, you, the play is either good or bad. It's either advantageous or it's not advantageous. And so if you think it's advantageous, you go for it. If you don't, you don't. I guess That's I can see I that. I guess I can see that. I just see it as an unnecessary risk to go for. Like, like I said, you are clearly the better team. Like, a hundred thieves to me just seem mentally defeated after game two. So Cloud to me, I'm going for an unnecessary risk. Yeah, well, get out of here. Yeah, it's true. It's kind of like you know, Blabber does these kinds of things. But to me, it just it feels a bit idiotic because you're giving them pretty much their only way back into the game 
is to go for a level one flip. It fall flat. It falls flat on your face, and then they have a one thousand gold lead. You know, starting the game with Poppy Talia. I mean, like I and said, Poppy I, at level two. Also, Poppy took the Raptors and was level two. Like I thought. Oh, I, I thought, thought that was going to go really well for one hundred thieves. I did too. I was like, this shit is so fucked because Poppy does the correct. <laughs> yeah. You know. You know. That's another thing you can really tell when junglers are... You, you can tell a good jungler for a bad one, especially when it comes to early game invades. The smart junglers will almost instantly say, fuck the red buff, I'm going raptors level 2, smite the big raptor, get level 2, and just go back and fight. Doesn't matter who gets the buff, we're just going to go fight. And, you know, they did. They made the correct play. They still lost it, and I think part of that had to do with Cloud9's just crazy up-in-your-face shit that they did especially you know burning a lot of flashes really early on to kill the first target and then blabber got pretty lucky well not lucky but presumably he timed his flash really well as who he is like smashing the ground with his pulverize but you know we won't go too much further into this level one but to me it just felt like an unnecessary risk that cloud nine didn't need to take and <laughs> gave gave 100 thieves the chance to get back into the series and the thing is too so we'll get a little bit away from that play um because we focus so much on it but i would say that it didn't really affect the rest of the game as much as i thought it would because you end up having um blabber really behind in the jungle and closers invading taking his camps but then you have zven come along and kind of help him clean up his camps and so that closer can't stick around and continue to invade and i think that was something that helped blabber get back in the game but also again going back to 100 thieves just not really having an answer for c9 they put Berserker on one of the OP80 carries. In this game, it was Sivir. And they gave him, was it Lulu and Zillion? Yeah. Yeah, yep. so he had two supports. Yep. And on the guy who has hands down been the best AD carry in the league in, in playoffs. Not even close. Yeah, and um, they still got the Wukong again with the Lulu this time, which is a yeah. better enchanter to have. I mean, it's, it's better or equal yeah. to Yumi. Like, but I, I, me personally, I, you know, I think good Lulu is better than average or you know, good Yumi, if you can even say good Yumi, the fucking champion. And sometimes stupid. that means you have to draft better, but sometimes it also just means that 100 or that cloud nine just had more answers or more weapons rather than 100 thieves had answers. And maybe it's that simple, right? Yeah, that, that's, like, that's what it felt like. 100 thieves prep for the series. Maybe this was just the best they had as far as the champions they play. And so maybe you just got to give credit to cloud nine for being able to play more shit. Yeah, and, and maybe, you know, maybe that's, I guess, looking back on it, you know, I don't want to, we won't go down this rabbit hole again, but with the level one invade, having enchanter versus a melee, <laughs> no, but ha having an enchanter versus a melee tank in level ones is especially super important when it comes to drawn out one, uh, drawn out level ones. So. Yeah. And so anyway, there you go. Uh, I, I don't think there was any real area where 100 Thieves outplayed, or yeah, where 100 Thieves outplayed Cloud9. I guess you could point to the one top lane matchup where Fudge was counterpicked with the Fiora. Other than that, he didn't even I die. Know, like man. he he was down. I think at max he only went down like 10 CS in lane. Yeah, it, it feels like slim pickings, right? For an yeah. area where 100 Thieves outplayed them, I, I think they. 100 Thieves got outplayed in every single role, and so that's how you. That's usually what happens when you have a really quick 3-0 sweep. And I think they said it was like the second quickest or whatever. But yeah, it was the second honestly, fastest. I, to me, kind of sucks. Um, I guess for Cloud9 fans, that no complaints there. <laughs> we, yeah. It's also hard to complain to where like the whole playoffs, man. We got five games, so I feel like it's a little picky for me to be like, "Oh, we got a sweep." Yeah, um, a I did wish it was finals but... where the sweep happened. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, it did cement the the worry about Cloud9 because for me, I, like, I can't just be sold 
over a couple of weekends of playing good. Because even the first series of the playoffs, C9's series against CLG wasn't the cleanest, if I remember. Yeah, right. it was definitely a little bit sketchy. So, like, even the way playoffs started, C9 wasn't exactly like... And then they just suddenly turned it on. And isn't it insane how a team can suddenly turn it on after, like, all summer long, they were very hit and miss, right? Good weekend, bad weekend. Good weekend, bad weekend. Um, and now they just look unstoppable all of a sudden. I, I can't really figure out how that happens. They went with the uh, the TSM style of summer split. Look mediocre in the regular season and then shit on everybody in playoffs. Mm. Instead of the Cloud9 way to do it in summer split is to look really good in the regular season and then kind of bomb out of playoffs. Yeah. And then Berserker got the MVP. Well yeah, deserved, I, I mean, think. he was just smurfing. Like, I, I think I said this. I, I think you could have given it to Blabber as well. Um, is there anybody else? I think it would have had to have been him. Yeah, or Blabber. Him, him or Blabber I, for I sure. Think, yeah, and I, to me, I don't really have any preference. I think they both played amazing. So, uh, well deserved. Also, is it just me or did the crab meme really resurface this weekend? I like. Did I miss something? What happened for it to like resurface this much? <laughs> I don't know. I, I know like, well, I mean, Cloud9 always buys into those kind of memes. And I think at one point they had merch that had like blabbers, scrabbers. And I don't know if they yeah, did yeah, some but more. Yeah, go back to. Oh, I mean, yeah, this goes back to MSI this... of 2021. Of last year. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it just felt weird to me that it was resurfaced. Not, not even a bad weird, like a good weird. It was like, oh, okay, this is like a thing now. Everyone cheers for blabber getting the crab. I didn't. Yeah. I didn't know where that resurfaced from, but uh, the more memes, the better, I guess. Yeah. Um. Just quickly back to Berserker and him getting finals MVP. I'll, I'll just once again shout out to Ven because I can't recall the last time Cloud9 lost a lane. I don't think they lost a single True. lane almost the entirety of playoffs. Um. And even towards the end of the regular season, Berserker and Zen were performing really, really well. I'd, I'd have to go back, but I can say safely that I don't think they lost a single lane the entirety of playoffs. Um. They were hard clapping in lane, honestly. Yeah. That's and, a big shout out. I you know, a, a lot of people are saying, you know, Cloud9, they look, they, they're the best right now because they have the best AD carry. And while that is true, I still think you need to credit Sven because I think his performances as of late have been completely different to his performances at the beginning of Summer Split, where he was making, you know, a lot of crucial errors and those have pretty much been eliminated. Yeah, Sven has had like a couple plays in playoffs where you're kind of scratching your head, like, what the hell are you doing? Uh, the only one, that, the main one that comes to mind is when he was on Renata in that series against Evil Geniuses, and he takes some really shit path and just gets blown up, and they almost oh he gets like, bubbled right. No, nah, he gets poppy slammed into the wall. But oh okay. Either I way, something different. My my point is is that you need to credit Sven as much as Berserker because you know they've been playing so well as a duo. Yeah, their laning phase has been insane. And it seems yeah, like you know pretty much. They all, and I guess the other thing to talk about maybe more is Cloud9 as a team. It just seems like they have so much trust in each other now compared to previously, especially when it comes to this yeah. enchanter type meta. And especially, you know, with Zillion, where you need to be kind of really late on the trigger when it comes to whipping out, you know, your Zillion ults. And sometimes you want, you get, you get those perfect timing Lulu ults where it's not about, you know, healing the target. Sometimes it's about getting that multi-man knock up and stuff like that. So Cloud9 has just been playing super clean all around. Like I said, you know, best player in each role in almost the majority of playoffs, um, dominating the majority of lanes 1v1, and it just allows Blabber to do whatever the hell he wants and go for whatever aggressive play he wants because he's never on the back foot pretty much. Yeah, and last shout out for me. Oh, I, I, I guess I would. I guess I will say that maybe could be a bit of a concern going into Worlds because, uh, you know, Cloud9 is not going to dominate everybody in lane 1v1 like they've been. So presumably, you know, we'll have to see 
a little more, you know, team fight macro oriented, you know, improvements from them. Oh, you didn't hear? Jensen's going to clap Faker for real this time. Oh, yeah. I saw he retweeted the tweet. <laughs> he he said something about that in the press conference as well. Oh. Which, yes, I know. I watched the press conference XD. I know. Um, last shadow for me is Fudge on the NAR. Um, there was a few times that Blabber went for the engage in that game and kind of got stuffed. Um, but Fudge followed up and got a lot of multi-man NAR ulties, which also still continued to swing the fight in their favor. And that was something that I thought needed highlighting as well. His NAR was pretty damn solid in game three. Um, again, we know that they have played them in every single lane pretty much, but uh, that was just one more area that I needed to highlight. Fudge looking beast, by the way, because his initial roll swap back to top wasn't exactly the greatest start either. And that's also another part as to why, like, the, um, I guess the, there's so much improvement, I suppose, because you had Jensen who had a whole split off and Fudge hadn't played top in forever. So, like, I, I remember us acknowledging at the start of the split that there was a lot of potential issues, but we were still all bought in. And then by the time, by the time playoffs came around, I was selling that stock. I was like, mm, no, I'm not buying it. You need to show me more. And well, they did. And Fudge said like, well, I told you guys. And yeah, I guess you're right. Checkmate, Fudge. Checkmate. Well, I, I, it's funny. I went back and listened to our first episode of, not of Summer Split, but our first episode with regards to the Summer Split when the roster rumors were all happening. And we were both talking mm -hmm. about Cloud9 because Cloud9 was obviously the big talk of the offseason because of, you know, what had gone on. What did on. we say? Well, we both said that Cloud9 was going to be a Worlds team. But we both got that right. Ooh, saved. Yeah. Although we both said that 100 Thieves wasn't going to make Worlds. So I guess you could also say we got that wrong. But, you know, mm -hmm. we I think, but back to that point, we kind of similarly at the beginning of the season and going into playoffs the majority of people thought that we were going to have four decent contenders for three spots. And I think, you know, that, that kind of still rung true as playoffs came into it. Obviously cloud nine was the underdog of those four teams entering playoffs, but you know, right place, right time kind of thing for cloud nine. It's just, they're, they're surging while everyone's declining. True. 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 Anyway. Yeah. Uh, definitely a huge success of a summer split. I gotta say, um, yeah, to, to me, best split we've had in a long time. Mm -hmm. I, I'm, I'm to trying be. to think when would we have had another split that was this good um, is, is there any split that stands out to you that was like damn that split was awesome I mean summer 2021 was pretty good as well that was you know had a really close regular season with TSM was 1 100T was 2 TL was 3 EG was 4 Cloud9 was 5 and the summer regular season was really really close uh, the playoffs were I don't all pretty close. Playoffs minus being the final. This like hype though, or or like all the all the series going to five games and whatnot. Did yeah, I happen? mean, I I think that's partially because I guess I I will I will give credit to the the seventh and eighth seeded lower bracket teams definitely put up more of a fight than a lot of people were expecting. Um, You're giving credit to the seven and eight teams. Holy shit! Hell the, freezes over on episode 100 of the Clown Fiesta podcast. I mean, it definitely we wouldn't have got this whole like storyline and excitement if they both got shit on 3-0 super quickly. And you know, yeah, I just I don't think that would have you know the topic of play. Oh, playoffs being so hype. You know, all because all the lower bracket games went five games, and I think you know that's something that's super exciting, and you know, fans look for as you know a metric of oh my god, this summer split playoffs is insane and if it was just like two three oh shit stomps then you know i don't think that 
argument would hold the same sense the whole hold the same way. I also I, I think I remember, and maybe you'll help me out with this. I think I remember being pretty cold on Cloud9 last year going into Worlds. Like, I remember feeling... I realized they got out of their group. I think they went they, two and they, four, though. They were struggling. They, didn't, they definitely yeah, didn't look I, I as remember. good in the summer split as they did the spring split when they won the split. Yeah. Yeah, true, true. And uh, I remember feeling a little bit like kind of Monka S with our third seed. I guess what I'm saying is I feel better about our third seed now. Well, I don't know. Maybe do I? Because the whole Danny situation makes things a little different. The Danny Cowrie thing. Well, one thing um, that I think I guess that's a little unique, though. One thing that I think that benefits EG is them being in the playing stage. I think will help them in the long run because they're going to need the practice um, well, and the stage experience. That, right? let's, let's move on to the world stuff, right? Because we had the world group stage, uh, the Already. group draws or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So let's get into that. Sorry, go ahead. Continue your point. Um, but I was just thinking, I was just saying that EG, I think, is going to benefit from being in the playing stage. Um, we got the groups here. I'll read them out really quickly. Group A, the uh, the dream group for Evil Geniuses, our NA rep there. Fnatic, EG, Beyond Gaming, Loud, Detonation Focus Me, and Chiefs Esports. Whereas in Group B, we have the uh, the harder group when it comes to plans. DRX, RNG, Mad Lions, Saigon Buffalo, Istanbul Wildcats, and Isaris. Very... So I was going to say very similar to last year's play-in groups where we had the one side, which had Homolife, LNG, and the EU team, I believe. Or maybe it wasn't the EU team. It was the Vietnamese or the PCS team. And the other side of the group had NA, EU, and then, you know, a lot of the weaker uh, minor regions. So definitely still the dream group, right? Because you dodge a lot of good teams let's just be honest but is there ever the argument that it could be monka s because well and stop me if i'm wrong here the second seed has to play the opposite group's third seed correct um so whoever finishes third out of drx rng mad assuming it's those three that are top things can happen where it could be someone else but assuming those three are the top three in their group and if eg falls behind fanatic which is very possible uh, maybe BYG is good too. Who knows? Isn't there a world where EG has to play one of those good teams to get out? Um, well, the way that it works is at the end of group stage, number one auto qualifies to the main stage. Yeah. So uh-huh. part of the reason why I think EG is set up really, really well is they can easily get first out of this group. If no, they... I'm not discounting that they can't get first in this group. They they definitely can, but so can Fnatic, right? Yeah, they let's can. Be fair. Fnatic has started to look a lot better towards the end of Summer Split as well. Yeah, I mean, so let's just li- let's live in the world where Fnatic gets first seed, and who who gets who do you think would get first seed from Group B? Are we going RNG? Yeah, I think RNG is probably the best bet. That's probably the favorite. Mm-hmm. So let's say that happens, and then let's say DRX is two and EG is two, and then BYG is three and Mad is three. Well, EG hold on, hold on. First, play... first, the bottom two teams from each group get eliminated. And then okay. seeds three and four from the same group play each other. So in, in our yeah, world, let's just say BYG would play Detonation Focus Me, and then Mad Lions would play Saigon Buffalo. And then winner okay. moves on, and then they face the second seed from the opposing group. I believe that's gotcha. how that works. I mean, we watched the video on the stream like yesterday, so I feel like we should know. But I know, but you know, I can't remember this shit. <laughs> I'll, I'll double check. But like you I said, my memory sucks. I'm I'm fairly confident that it's three plays four from the same group, and then winner plays two okay. from the opposite group. Right. So there's still a world where EG might have to play 
either med or drx in our little world that we're playing living yeah however i think that it's just as likely that eg can actually escape you know as the first seed from the group okay should be interesting i mean i i'm excited to see eg play fin i'm excited to see eg play a lot of teams and play-ins which i think that's something that's a little bit more unique this year like there's always some teams that are you know that are good games to watch but i think that it's not not getting out of play-ins which is like normally kind of free i say kind of and like air quotes um i think it makes plans a lot more interesting this year and i think that's kind of a good thing right yeah i, I guess the, the last thing that i'll note about the the how the format works and everything is eg in then you know in in the normal case of worlds is actually even better off because mad lines wouldn't actually be there and there'd be a a lcl which is the russian league representative so, you know, EG, while they did high roll, they were low rolled a little bit because Mad Lions technically wouldn't be at Worlds and there'd be a LCL representative. So in that case, it, it does it does make that best of five potentially easier. Um, but, yeah, let us play UOL, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I, to me, the, the way that I see it, like this is the dream setup for EG, mainly because um, I think I'd actually be more worried if Mad Lions was in the same group than EG because while Mad Lions did bomb out of playoffs pretty hard, obviously there's a lot of contention with, you know, them making worlds because they didn't win a single best of five. Um, but we saw what Mad Lions ceiling was in the summer split and it's really they good. good man. They were yeah. pretty much the clear cut number one EU team and they've had, you know, when planes will begin, they basically would have had almost a more than a month off to go out and fix their problems and EG's, you know, EG's also in a similar boat where they were looking really, really strong in summer, are encountering some problems in the summer playoffs, and, you know, we'll have to see what happens with Danny, but they also have really good chances to improve. Whereas I think Fnatic, on the other hand, they struggled. And they yes, they did get better throughout the playoffs, and they did almost, you know, have a little bit of a miracle run of their own through the lower bracket. But what is Fnatic's ceiling? And if, you know, if you're to take what we see the ceiling as right now, which was their performances in playoffs, I think that EG is definitely on par with that. So admittedly, I'm a little bit less informed on Europe than I was pretty much all summer split long. Like I just started falling behind and so I stopped following it. Um, but the thing is, when I was watching Fnatic for most of summer, the big standout for me was Razork. I thought he was awful. <laughs> and all I keep hearing is how he's been absolutely a monster, apparently. Again, I haven't been been watching. I've kind of fallen behind. But I guess my worry is if Razork's performing really well, I can believe that Fnatic is going to be good. I can definitely believe it. Because to me, he was the biggest inter, if you will, from when I was watching. It sounds like things have turned around there. Mm. So that's kind of Monka. The other weird thing is like, Niski El Yoya were freaking beast. And then I stopped watching. And I don't know what happened. <laughs> Apparently they can't win a best of five anymore. So oh. I guess I'll be really interested to follow those two teams. Because I don't know, Europe's always interesting for me to follow. Our mood has definitely been not very good. That that's I think the main mm. sentiment from Mad Lions is I mean Rip our mood. He's been he's been struggling all of 2022, basically. So you know, hopefully he doesn't Damn. get. I mean, he's he's gonna be in a bit of a difficult situation in Group B over there, but uh, you know, we'll we'll have to see. Yeah, we will have to see. Anyways, so that's that. Um, main stage stuff. Yep, we got our main stage groups. I'll just read them out very quickly. Group A: Cloud Nine, T One, and EDG. Flashback to 2017. Uh, group B: JDG, G Two, and Damwon. Uh, people have kind of already dubbed this as the Group of Death. 
um, especially considering if EG moves on to the playing stage, they're going to get auto qualified into group B. It's pretty much the only scenario that's possible unless some huge fuckery goes on where multiple minor regions get out of the playing stage. Uh, group C, Rogue, Top Esports, and Gigabyte Marines. Group D, Gen G, I already forgot this damn team's name, CFO. It's like the CTBC Flying Oysters or something. <laughs> and then 100 Thieves. <laughs> But just to quickly go back to what I, I was talking about with EG. I know EG. that name's a train wreck. I know that name's a train wreck, but I love it. Yeah. I love like the be- the names that are so bad that they're good. Yeah, let's just call them the Flying Oysters, how about? Um, but to quickly go back to what I was saying with EG getting auto-seated into Group B, um, if we play a bit of the some hypotheticals here, if we assume that one team from each major region makes it out of the group, then the groups would be as follows. Um, Fnatic or Mad Lions would slot into Group A, EG would go into Group B, DRX would go into Group C, and RNG would grow into Group D. And you know, it's because you, they have to follow the regional limit uh, for groups. Obviously, Riot did come out with an update regards to the scenario where two EU teams would make it out of the playing stage, and therefore, for you know that one scenario, they would invalidate that rule. Um, but like I said, going back to Group B, Evil Geniuses. If they make it out of planes, they're going into that group, and that group is definitely group of death this year. But at least, I know this is some copium, at least they get their shot again at taking G2, right? Because they lost, what, eight games at MSI? They lost a lot of games G2 at MSI. They get a chance at redemption. Uh, so I guess that's interesting. I don't want to get too far into like we we're not going to do predictions for who's going to get out of the group and where teams are going to play. We're going to leave that for next episode, um, that we'll do in a couple of weeks before play and start. But um, yeah, I guess just your instinct, J and T. What is the the group of life and group of death here? Yeah, it's hard to say. I think Group B is definitely the group of death, mainly because yeah. you have what you know. Regardless of how the LEC finals played out, I still think that people view G two as the best team in Europe. Um, I mean, that's, uh, yeah, like, uh, lol, because they just got shit on by Rogue 3-0. But I think it's still safe to assume that people view G2 as the best team. JDG obviously looks like, you know, they're they're looking like favorites to win the whole thing. You know, they're the number one seed out of China. Obviously, Genji's the number one seed out of Korea as well. So that's always going to be a, a fun battle there. Should we see that down the line? <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> I'm dying over here. <coughs> Take a quick little water swig, why don't you? And uh, I would say also, Damwon's I, I see pretty good. The, yeah, I mean, Damwon is not what we used to to know of them, right? Like, they were obviously world champion uh, favorites at one point. Well, and world champions, for that matter. Um, and I don't think they're there anymore. But, like, it's never a, a team that you can underestimate, right? Yeah. So, Group B, obviously, Group of Death. And then I guess maybe Group D would be the life because, well... I say that, but then RNG is going to get slotted into that probably, and then yeah, and I mean have RNG and Genji, right? Yeah, I mean RNG is still a team that's going to be you know feared because they're MSI champions, you know, but they're not looking as strong as they once did at the beginning of the year. They were the LPL fourth seed, right? And And so the dream, the dream is then like, okay, we let Genji take the one spot, and everyone else does the brawl for the second slot. Exactly. That's you know kind of what you look at with group of life, group of death type thing, and you know. You look, group of life basically means one team's getting out and the rest is up to you. And group of death is any team can get out. So good fucking luck. So, and you may have mentioned this, but was there any other news on like the, um, 
because there were some issues about how the groups were going to be drawn and how they might yeah. not work out or whatever. I, I did say what that. What was earlier. the update on that again? Well, they just said in what the in the scenario where two European teams make it out of the playing stage, they're going to eliminate the like the regional lock that they have on groups because if people know, only one team from each region can be drawn into a group. That's why when the group draws are going on, you see teams, you know put into a different group than what they're drawn into because of the whole regional thing. So they did say in that gotcha. case where two, two EU teams get out that they're going to, you know, not follow that rule for that one scenario. Okay. Anything else on this stuff or should we move on to the LCS players list? Yep. I think we're, I think we're good to move on. Worlds is always exciting. It'll be a banger. I'm so fired up, man. Ugh. We're actually so close. We'll be in New York in like a month. I mean, you're going to be like living there pretty much, but it's going to be good. Anyway, anyway, the top 10 LCS players of all time list was released. Some controversial stuff, some not. Uh, where should we start with this, JNT? Um, well, let's start at the bottom and I think work our way to the top because I think Do the we have a visual or are you just going to read them out? Maybe no, you can read them out. Yeah, I'll read them out. There wasn't like a, a nice condensed list. You know, that was all like, oh, big pictures. But it's like, yeah, sorry, can't fit that in here. But I'll read the list really quickly. Number 10, Blabber. Number 9, Hi. Number 8, Aframoon. Number 7, Sneaky. Number 6, Core JJ. Number 5, Jensen. Number 4, X Smithy. Number 3, Impact. Drumroll, please. Number 2, Double Lift. Number 1, Bjergsen. So. Okay. Let's start with this. What is your, your knee jerk reaction to like, nah, man, not that? What's like your, eh, I don't think so? Um, I think high being on the list. Yeah, me too. It's actually, that wasn't my first thing though, actually. So okay. uh, that is one where I was like, I don't think high should be top 10. My first thing was, I think Jensen's number three. I think always Jensen has been right behind Bjergsen. And I mean like right behind, like that's been the story of his career is that this guy is an absolute monster, but Bjergsen just gets the best of him every time. And if not for Bjergsen, Jensen has a million MVPs and a million titles. And that's kind of how I feel about it. It's no disrespect to Impact or Xmithy. I just think Jensen is to me the clear cut number three. Um, what do you think about that, Jinter? Honestly, I hadn't even thought about it. But you make a really good argument. I think it's difficult because I think Impact is definitely worthy and deserving of being number three because he's basically just been a staple of NA on all the top teams ever since he got to North America. Minus his like first year when he was on Team Impulse. Or I don't know if he was on he was on Team Impulse and then he was on NRG for a split yeah. and then you know went to Cloud Nine season six, performed really well in season six and season seven, moves over to Team Liquid. Plays really, really well throughout his entire tenure of Team Liquid. Goes over to Evil Geniuses now, and they won a championship. And now they're going to Worlds. So, I definitely think that <clears throat> Impact... It's hard to... Like, you make a good argument, honestly. So, I think I would probably put it as like a... It's hard to say. Maybe I, it's like a coin toss to me at three. I don't know. I'd have Jensen or Impact. I think if you had it any which way, I wouldn't be too bothered by it. I do think, though, that Jensen should be over X-Smithy. Um, I understand X-Smithy... He has the most, it's he have the most titles or he's tied for the most or does Doublelift now have the most? I don't even remember, but Smithy sure. has, he's like, he's top two in LCS titles. Um, he, he was a strong jungler in North America for a very, very, very long time. However, uh, it's hard to like flame these players, but like Smithy was never the guy. He was just kind of, he was on the successful teams and that was what made him a really great player because he was just the absolute top tier 
fit into any team. Doesn't matter who's on the team. Doesn't matter what kinds of players are on the team. Like this guy is good. Like people forget he went to Immortals in season seven, made worlds with that team. When Immortals in season seven was not like perceived as a top team or anything like that. So it's really tough. I think there's obviously your clear cut one and two, which is double Tim Bjergsen. We'll get into that discussion in a little bit, but uh, I think Impact, Jensen, and Smithy are all you know all equally as worthy to be number three in my books. Yeah, I would go Jensen, Smithy, Impact. Actually, I think um, if I had to choose, which, I don't know. I think if I had to choose, I'd go Impact, Jensen, Smithy. But like I said, to me, Impact and Jensen—that's like a coin toss. Yeah, and let's get back to the high thing now. Um, I honestly just don't think he was at that high of a level for long. High nice, level. nice, oh nice. Mm. You should give yourself a pat on the back there. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Anyways, I don't think he was at that high of a level for that long um, to warrant being top 10. If you're going to put high on that list, I would have put Medios ahead of him. Or Sven Skaren, for that matter. I agree. I think both of those players I, I agree 100%, were better actually. than high. Pardon me? I agree 100%, actually. Is there anybody else I'm missing that should have been on? Those were the two guys that I thought of, but like I'm, I gotta admit there wasn't like a long time of thinking about this. I didn't go through some grueling thought process. Yeah. Um. Once again, maybe it's just I'm like negative on the whole outlook of someday. But I did see a lot of outrage. Like, why is someday like not even in consideration for any of this? I don't think he was even on like the top twenty. But especially no, like- he was. Was he? I'm pretty sure he was. I okay. looked at it earlier. I'm maybe maybe was. if he was, you know, I, for whatever reason, someday fans always just feel hard done by. And once <laughs> again, I, I've been super critical of someday for the majority of his LCS career. Not, I wouldn't say critical, but I, I, I haven't been. To me, he seems to have the Hooney effect um, where it doesn't really matter, you know, if you're playing kind of mediocre People will just continue to reference, you know, his really strong carry performances. And don't get me wrong. Someday has played so much better in the last one and a half years than he did in the previous one and a half years. So, you know, he obviously had a really, really strong season eight, which was his first year on 100 Thieves and was a great player. Wholeheartedly agree. Can't even dispute that. Season seven with Dignitas wasn't very good. His season nine with 100 Thieves and his season 10 with 100 Thieves was not like very good. It was like it was solid top laner, but it wasn't like, oh, my God, I'm this insane player. So I guess the only one that people, I guess the community would say they missed was Someday, but I don't see anybody you could take off this list to replace Someday. And if you were to get rid of High, I think there's equally or if not more qualified people to get in, like Medios. Yeah. The, the main reason, uh, though, why I didn't put High on my list was it, go, it goes back to a bit of the discussion that we had around the top five LCS mid laners of all time, because Jensen and Bjergsen are the clear, you know, one and two, or I should say Bjergsen and Jensen are the clear one and two. and with mid lane in the LCS being Wait, such a high, about, you're talking about mid or oh, all together. I'm making my point here, but I'm talking about I'm talking about high okay. here. But I'm I'm just okay setting the scene, if you will. But when we were having yeah, a discussion about top five LCS mid laners, um, to me there was such a huge drop from Jensen to high because you know high was number three on top ten LCS or top five LCS mids of all time, and I thought I, I didn't dispute that because I thought you know he's a person that should be on there. However. The drop from Jensen to high is just massive. And, it, you know, it's, yeah. I, I, don't get me wrong, I'm a Cloud9 fan. I'm a high fan. I love that guy, dude. Watching that guy just like run around playing Zed at the season four world championships, backdooring shit, like that shit was peak. I love that shit. Soraka mid, Timo yeah. mid. But he's just, he just was never on that level. I understand that a shot calling was a super, super important part. 
of cloud nine success, but he just never was at that level. And, you know, it's just to me, not that he's undeserving of being on the top lists. I think he is, but I just think there's other players that you need to put ahead of him because, you know, there are more worthy ones. Yep. I agree. Um, so just for reference, I did look at the top 20 list and someday is on there. The funniest one is that Reggie's on there. Like, bro. And the only reason he's on on there was because he got like two votes from Dyrus and somebody else. Well, yeah, Dyrus had him like really high or something. That was, that was funny. Well, Dyrus Um, only voted for players that he would have been playing with at the time. He voted for Lustboy, I think, too. Yeah. You know, he only voted for players who had been playing when he was playing. He had no new uh, players on his list. He might have had Core JJ. I don't even think he did, but. Well, so here's the thing. I, I don't. I looked at the list that he voted for and I'm like, dude, come on. But also, he probably just doesn't follow it. Oh, no, I agree. Like, I'm not, like, I'm not I'm not blaming him. Out. So, like, yeah, exactly. It, it, it was funny because you're like, okay, he doesn't know. Um, but what what's he going to do? Oh, go back and watch five, six years of VODs? No. Yeah, sorry. Just to clear that up, I'm not like shit-talking Dyrus because his votes were kind of troll, but, you know, it's just he's an older guy and he's just going to vote for what he knows, so. Yeah, no one, I don't think either of us is shit-talking, but it is a standout when you see those votes. You're like, "Mm, I know it's subjective, but that's wrong. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, okay, let's get into the Doublelift Bjergsen part because there was a lot of number one votes for Doublelift. And our regular listeners will know what our take on, on this is. Mm-hmm. For me, it's Bjergsen, and I don't even think it's as close as people think it is. I think it is hands down Bjergsen. Now, I know the regular people, the regular um, argument is that Bjergsen had a hard time winning once Doublelift left. I get that. Uh, it's not like Bjergsen never won without double lift. Um, the other thing too is Bjergsen came into this league and ran it on his own. No offense to his teammates on TSM, but he was 1v9. Like, absolutely. Yeah. I double mean... lift, absolute monster. And in when he went whatever four in a row with TL, you can't just give him all the credit when he's playing with a really, really good fucking team. There's no credit taken away from Doublelift, but you have to understand that when Bjergsen is 1v9 winning the whole split, that is different from when Doublelift is doing it with Jensen and Core JJ and Xmithy and Impact. Like, that is not the same. And so I think it's very short-sighted to be like, more championships means that he's a better player. I think that's so short-sighted for what is an individual board to give to, to base it off of team accolades. Yeah, and I, I think, think that winning championships should matter. Let me be clear. That is something that should be considered. I think that it is very short-sighted if that's the only thing that's considered. Yeah, and one thing that <clears throat> uh dominate I will dominate was he he, uh, he released like an hour plus video watching like old vods and talk- I didn't watch the video. I just saw that he released it. But his main argument point on Twitter because I saw some of his tweets was saying that you need to look at the, you need to also include the performances and splits where Bjergsen and Doublelift weren't winning and what those looked like. And that kind of goes back to what you were saying at the beginning. When Bjergsen came to the LCS, he was 1v9 running the show. Two years, or I guess more like one and a half years, uh, because he didn't really play all of season four spring. But season four and five, all Bjergsen. Not even like a single doubt about it. And you then look at Doublelift, who for the most part was kind of a 
it's, it's hard to call him mediocre, but he wasn't a top player or on a top team at that time in the league. And even when we saw, you know, some of double He was a top player. I got to stop you there. He was still a top player, but he was having a hard time getting the championship, right? He couldn't pick up the win. I mean, CLG was never that good, though. So it's, wait, what was the highest CLG even finished in like playoffs or a regular season? I don't remember, but I do remember him being one of the stars still. I know, but I just, he was a, he had a big name brand. I don't know if he was like, sorry, I, I, I cut it. you off though. Car carry on with your point. Anyways, I cut you off. But the main point is that you need to look at the performances of the players. It's equally as important to look at their performances when they weren't winning as to when they were winning. And I think that also kind of goes hand in hand when you talk about Bjergsen, you know, his time without Doublelift when he was on TSM in season nine and season, or sorry, season, was it eight and nine? Where Bjergsen was still playing at a super high level and, and he was still yeah. considered the best mid in the LCS and was still doing his damnedest to lead TSM to the promised land. And unfortunately, season eight and season nine were TSM's pretty much two least successful years, only made one finals, didn't win a championship, didn't make worlds either year. And then, I mean, if we want to go recently, like look no further than season 10 summer. We have continued to harp on season 10 summer when it pertains to Doublelift for almost the entirety of whenever we talk about Doublelift on this podcast. Doublelift was not yeah. good on TSM in season 10 summer when they made the miracle run, went to Worlds, and won the LCS championship. And Bjergsen with, you know, admittedly, speak and broken labor, also playing really, really well. But Bjergsen was absolutely hard carrying as well during that time. He was not double lift good. Let's not say he wasn't good because he was still like he wasn't. He was an average. He he was like fourth or fifth. He he was like average. Yeah. yeah, and not to mention that spring was also that was yeah. where spring split didn't matter, and that was awful as well. And you can't just forget that. You can't forget when a guy just checks out for a whole split. And I mean, they were he was bad, man, and that team was bad. They finished ninth or something. Yeah, they were ninth. Um, so anyways, the, the short of it is it's obvious Bjergsen and double F one and two to me, I don't think it's, I don't think it's as close as, as, uh, the community seems to think, but that's just my opinion. Anyways, I was surprised. I, I knew that there were people that were going to vote double F number one. I wasn't surprised by that. I was surprised by how close it was. There was a lot of number one votes for double F. And I looked at that and was like, guys, come on, man. Like it's, it, it seems so like, Oh, he wins championship when Bjergsen wasn't there. Him better. I'm like, come on, man. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think that Bjergsen is the number one. I don't know if I would say that it's like a big gap. It's There's a gap. It's not a big no, gap in my I opinion. Say it's, yeah, I, agree. I I guess my point is I don't know if I'm... I don't know if I agree how big the gap is as you're, you're trying to make it out to be. Not to say that you're trying to make it out to be. Like, it's not true because... What the hell am I saying? I'm saying that I think it's a little bit closer than you do. But... Bjergsen is still better. Okay. All right. Um, anybody else that you want to shout out that should be on the list, shouldn't be on the list? Any other thoughts? Um, no. I mean, I think they got the list right for the most part. Like I said, I think the only one that I would drop is high, and I probably I would put Medios or a Sven Skarin on there. I think if I had to choose one, I'd probably put Sven Skarin on there. In my ideal list, I probably would move Blabber up a spot. I'd, I'd have Blabber replace high spot and then put Sven Skarin at 10. But the rest of the players, to me, the rest of the players that are on the list are fine. We already talked about what other changes we would make. Yep. Okay, let's move on to quick news. Yep. What do we got, JNT? What's on the docket? We got some things. Uh, first thing, probably the biggest thing out of the list here was that after the playoff matches last week on the Tuesday morning, 
the news broke that Spica is now a free agent and is no longer contracted with TSM, and that they actually terminated Spica's contract. Do you remember Spica's how we contract. had a conversation last uh, week? Do you remember that? No, but I remember we talked about it. We did the post-mortem, and we said, like, that's been TSM's year, and we said, I won't be surprised if we're going to be talking about TSM next week. TSM, do something so that we could talk next week. Well, here it is. They announced that Spica is no longer under his contract. Uh, or, yeah, he was let go or whatever. And yeah, they terminated they his contract. Yeah. Yeah. So. So thank you, TSM, for delivering. Because, I mean, when have they not this year? This whole year, we've been able to talk about TSM in like 99% of episodes. Yeah, the thing that's really interesting to me about this is when it was, you know, the news had found, like, the news came out on Speaker's Twitter. He was like, they terminated my contract. And then you found out the next part of the tweet from TSM Dominic where he was saying we couldn't come to financial terms. That is baffling to me because that makes it sound like Speaker actually wanted to stay. However, he probably wanted, you know, you know, more money or we probably wanted more money, but I'm just surprised that TSM was unwilling to match that because of how important Spica is, one, not only to their league team and their league team's performance, but two, he's the only like person that they have as like as like a brand value for TSM's league team. Like TSM's league team has been fucking dead for the last two years with no Bjergsen. I know he was there coaching last year, but you know, they really didn't not have the like same, they didn't really have much of a brand, especially when it comes to like their their con their own content or whatever. So the way that the tweets have been phrased makes it sound like Spica maybe wanted to stay, wanted to stay for a lot more money potentially because, you know, he holds a lot of value within TSM and them getting rid of him, I think, really opens up a can of worms for the rest of the LCS because you have a top, maybe not top jungler, you have, you have a really strong jungler who's, you know, he's he's right, he's not too far behind the likes of Blabber, Closer, Santorin, and Inspired. Like, he he's right there behind them. He's definitely above the rest of the league. And... You know, who knows? Maybe a top team makes a move for him. And if not, then unfortunately he might get stuck on a bottom team. Yeah, it would be interesting to see what happens. That That is really surprising because you mentioned like things are not going well for TSM right now. If you have the opportunity to hang on to a player like Spica, who, by the way, is a fan favorite. And he's your you best player. You try to hold on to that guy. Yeah, you try to hold on to that guy. Um, and apparently there was something about a hundred grand or something was like the difference or something. Did you hear anything about that? No, I didn't. What is, was that even? I thought there was a rumor that it was like the difference was a hundred grand or something. I, I might be getting that wrong. So don't quote that. Me is, that anyone, if that's but... the case, that's brain dead. TSM fork out the hundred K you idiots. Yeah. Well, and so the instinct that my, my thoughts are either, well, my, my first thought is speak is like, look, I'll stay, but y'all gotta pay me, man. Like I, I ain't doing this again with the same damn contract. So that's the first one which obviously that makes sense, right? There was the initial, there was the tweet of like, I wish my only job was to jungle. You could tell Speaker was not having a fun year. So he's saying, look, I don't mind staying, but you're going to have to pay me to go through this shit again. Yeah. Um, the other thought process that went through my mind, <coughs> what does this mean for TSM now? Like, what is... What's like, the game I'm, plan? I'm so, yeah, exactly. Like, I'm so curious to find out what the game plan is for TSM going into next year. Are they going to try to pull a CLG and they go with just all young, fresh talent? Um, I guess not contracts wasn't that fresh, but all young talent for the most part and then just fill in one or two pieces of like a veteran? I don't know, honestly. Like, it's really, really weird. Yeah, Skizzy helping us out in the live chat saying rumor was TSM offered Speak a 100K more than he was being paid. Yeah, that's what I thought I heard. 
Um, Not enough. So, yeah. Then. Yeah. Well, I also wonder, like, I wonder what he was being paid, right? Like, yeah, true. If he was making one dollar and now he's making one hundred one, you know, like, <laughs> like it's very different than if he was making I don't know five hundred k and now he's making six hundred k. Like, it still matters. Like, it's hard to know how bad of an offer that is. I mean, on the surface, it sounds bad, but it's hard to know how bad without knowing what the amount is. You know? Yeah. Um. I guess uh, other also TSM news. Uh, this is a rumor, not official, but uh, apparently it sounds like TSM's getting rid of Chawi, their head coach. I don't want to flex too early, but I think that was my pick, right? Didn't we do a who's next to go? I remember we did a who's next to go first, and I know you got it right. I don't remember who yeah, it was. Yeah, it was Kaiduo. Maybe it's just Shenyi, though. Maybe, oh, maybe like, it was. Oh, Shen- no, I think it was Kaiduo, though. And then I whoever it was after that happened we said well let's just keep going we know someone else is going next and then that one i was like it's gotta be chowie chowie's my pick i don't want to flex yet because it's not official but i mean how come on man well and right? he's got not not to unflex you but speaker getting speaking who's next speaker we know that it happened yeah but i believe so i believe and stop me if i'm wrong here but i believe the um the rumor of the chowie thing came out first no i don't think so no, I think oh, the speaker thing came first. I think the Chawi oh. thing came the day after. I'm not sure though. But rip, rip. Yeah, anyways. I don't remember either. I do remember all this stuff came out right after we did our episode last week, which is yeah, like, what else is new? That happens exactly. to us all the freaking time. That yep. actually always happens to us. So as people are listening to this tomorrow, probably there's probably something else that just dropped and we missed it. Mm-hmm. Uh, next up, okay, Team Liquid. Uh, obviously disappointing season for them. We discussed it a lot last week. Uh, Steve came out with a video on Twitter, basically talking about how he was really disappointed in the way that the year ended. And he kind of went all in this year because worlds was being held in North America. And for whatever reason, talked a lot about, like I was trying to convince sponsors and investors that this was going to be good. And not, not to say that he was like, I don't want to say he was making excuses, but not that he was making excuses, but it kind of felt like he was venting a little bit in this video. It felt like it felt like this one needed to go through like another layer of PR stuff. Like, I feel like he didn't need to talk really? about all that, I, but I just I don't think that he needed I, to say he like it felt authentic. I, yes, that's true. But I think that, you know, there's limitations on what you should be revealing about how you, you know, go about your operations and, you know, whatnot. So. I don't know. It just felt like it was a little bit too much. I I, I didn't mind it to me when I watched it. I just thought it was, look, this is like what we pitched. This is how we were able to get these players. And this is how we were so confident that these players would do well. We figured for sure we were going to worlds and we fell short. I think it was just more not hiding behind like because you could theoretically not that I think Steve would ever do this. Um, but you could theoretically go into full copia mode, like, well, we never knew for sure that this team was going to be That's good, true, yeah. you know, like, and you could kind of backstep. He was just owning the loss. And that's something that we try to do a lot on this podcast is when we're right, we flex it. When we're wrong, we it's just like, we were wrong. And this is what we thought. And we realized that, you know, we were wrong and we lost and whatever. So that's, I, I guess that's the way I took it anyway. Yeah. Um. Apart from the first two minutes of the video, there was uh, also some pretty telling stuff in the back half of the video where Steve basically said that, yes, we're making roster changes. Um, There were two really important quotes 
that I'll pull from the video. I wrote them down as I was watching the video, but this is Steve talking about the roster changes. They said that they're going to double down on some of the areas where we've seen success and that they're going to build players within the TL structure. And I feel like those, those two quotes there reveal a lot of things. Number one, doubling down on some of the areas where we've seen success. If we want to talk about success in terms of this Team Liquid Summer Split, uh, Bjergsen and Santorin were the best players on the roster, the most consistent players on the roster, and are probably the two best players on this roster right now. So if we want to extrapolate anything from that, sounds like Bjergsen and Santorin are staying. And if we want to go to that second quote there, build players within the TL structure, there's obviously been a ton of discussion about TL's Academy bot lane, Yone and Ayla. Mm -hmm especially after Ayla and Yon's lock-in performances back at the beginning of 2022 when people really started to recognize that these guys are LCS caliber. However, you know, Team Liquid at that time, their bot lane was Hansama, Core JJ, and everybody believed that that was going to be the best bot lane in the league, no ifs, ands, or buts about it. And people really expected them to kind of to go out and dominate the rest of the league. And we really saw the complete opposite of that, where not only was Hansama struggling, Core JJ was also struggling. And... Mm -hmm. It's it's difficult to say that you know TL is going to get rid of Core JJ, but when I hear build players within the TL structure, that sounds like Yon and Core Yon and Ayla are going to move up to the starting spot. Because if we assume that Bjergsen and Santorin are going to say, I think it's unlikely that Steve was mentioning this and saying, oh, we're going to bring up Bradley and get rid of Whippo, because Bradley is a very new player to the academy scene. I think only started playing academy at the beginning of this year, uh, and I think you know was playing amateur before that. But does feel, you know, I I would assume that they would put in Yon and Ayla before they fast track Bradley to the starting roster. So if I were if we're gonna make assumptions around here, it sounds like new top laner plus Santorin, Bjergsen, Yon, and Ayla. So that's that's your guess. Now, can we take it a step further? Do you have anybody in mind as to who the top laner would be? Hmm. I realize we're just guessing here, right? We, uh, for clarity's sake, we don't know any of this stuff, guys. We're just speculating because it's fun to do. Um. So in your in your world, well, J and T, who do you think do they, they have a, I, I Do they have an import the slot? Well, how, what import slots are open? Ayla doesn't count because he's Os. I don't even know what Yon's nationality is. I think it's then NA. They do have an import slot, right? Because isn't Santorin and Bjergsen? Well, Bjergsen for sure is not, but Santorin also doesn't take up an import slot, right? I believe so, yeah, because their two import slots this year were Han Sama and Whippo. So then they should have a slot. Yeah, Yon is NA and Ayla is O. So if that's the case, they actually have two import slots for only one uh, player. And, you know, if we want to speculate, maybe it doesn't mean they're bringing up Ayla and Yon. Maybe they would keep Core JJ and only bring up Yon and decide to import a top laner. So... I don't know. It's difficult to it, say, it, but it, just it sounds like so they have their crazy. pick of the litter from the rest of the world. It would be such a crazy world where Core JJ is replaced by an academy player. Yeah. I don't care how good the academy player is. Like, I'm not even saying there's anything wrong with, the with doing that because I, I don't know anything about academy. We don't follow it. What I am saying is there, it would have been so hard for you to convince me before this year started that TL would ever even consider an academy player over especially, Core JJ. Yeah, especially Core JJ. Like, other than this split, Core JJ has been the best player in the LCS for the last three years. Um, yeah. And I don't think that is really up for debate. Um, if it is, then I'll debate you. But uh, 
<laughs> Gorgie has been a beast, and yes, he definitely had his fair share of struggles in the summer split. And, you know, despite his struggles, it still would be surprising if they moved on from him for an academy player. Yeah. I honestly can't even speculate as to what they're going to do. Because when I heard, like, what, what did you say was the quote again about, like, keeping it was where they doubling, had success or double doubling down? Doubling down on areas where we've seen success and building players within the TL structure. The only player to me that was for sure when I heard that was Santor. Now, don't you know that I've had plenty of confidence in Bjergsen that I think he had a great year. Uh, maybe not Bjergsen level, but still a great year nonetheless. So I would still say that I think they're likely to keep him. But I wasn't throwing Bjergsen in the for sure list. I think because I'm sure that comes with a ridiculous cost, not to mention all of TL did, but you know what I'm yeah. saying? It's it's hard to say. I would be a bit surprised if they did move on from Bjerg. Uh just Me because too. you're not really gonna get another you're not gonna get other great options. Um especially if you're Jensen. Well, well no. Especially if they're <laughs> considering other imports for other roles, uh specifically the top lane, that does feel like it'll probably be an import no matter what. The only top laner that is half decent and available is solo. And I doubt that TL is gonna risk that by picking up solo. Although I think he could probably be a solid player on the team. And who knows? We've never seen solo on a top team. Probably be pretty decent because he does seem like a good player. But like I said, probably not worth the risk for a team like Team Liquid. So hmm. I think it's very likely we've seen import in the top lane. And it's kind of more about what TL does in the bot lane. If they do keep core and they want to elevate only Yone or they get rid of core and elevate Yone and Ayla or they just elevate Ayla or something like that. But like I said, the can I of worms have been opened. I'll throw another player's name into the conversation. I don't know what his contract is, but isn't there a world where they go back to Impact? I don't know. Assuming they can get him from EG, like uh, he might be under contract and whatnot, but when they're, I, I could see that, that world existing as well. Maybe. Anyway, just a thought. What about Alfari Part 2? Oh yeah, bring him back, baby. Let's do it. Bring back Jat too. That'd be great. <laughs> okay man what's next on quick news <laughs> uh tactical will be available probably get him too yeah throw him in the top lane to play malphite <laughs> uh next up uh i kind of referenced this a little bit earlier but uh doinby for two reasons one he's having a baby that's pretty cool oh, he's dad buff the other i'm trying to think of other pros who were like still active at the time who had kids i think ambition was the main one because he won worlds and he had a kid at that point. Because I also think he Did was he like have a 32. Kid? I knew he was married. I didn't know he had a kid. I think he was 32 when he won worlds. So I know he was like old. Maybe he well, was 30. Maybe he wasn't old. 32. But oh. I know. I know. Korea. I know. Korean age is different to NA age. I don't know what the difference is. I think it's one or two years. They like add they're an extra like year. Born and they're one or something. Yeah, I think something like that. We won't get they're into that. They're one when they're born or something. Just like kidding. That. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> um. What was say? That? <laughs> I was trying to make a terrible joke, but okay. Well, anyway, God, someone, someone let us know how the birthday thing works for for Korea. Yeah, in the but comments. back to Doinby. He was uh, on stream flaming a little bit. I think uh, you know world, you know, kind of the world's qualification thing with Mad Lions making worlds and them not winning a single best of five, and LNG having to play seven best of fives in summer split and still didn't make worlds. So. Doinby was he was getting a bit aggressive on stream. I get uh, it though. Like I, I wouldn't get where say it's coming I, from. I shouldn't say aggressive. He wasn't aggressive, but he was just kind of like, "What the fuck is this?" 
he's probably salty. And, yeah. and honestly, I totally get where that's coming from. However, I'm going to reference JLXP because I thought Jab brought up some really good points. I, I was able to watch it um, last night or something. Um, and he was saying that, like, when there's too many teams from, like, all just the major regions, I'm not... I'm paraphrasing here. It gets to feel a little bit less like the world championship because like, it's supposed to be more representative of all the different like teams around the world. Um, I don't remember if I uh, agreed with the, the format ideas or whatever that he was putting out, but I do think he makes a fair point that like, if you were just trying to get the best team in the world to win, you would just simply have China versus Korea and North America and Europe wouldn't be invited to the tournament. Maybe you'd have like one team from Europe invited every year, but like, the idea of Worlds isn't just to crown the best team in the world. It's also to bring competition from everywhere around the world. So, like, I think his point was that, like, you can't just give China and Korea seven seeds, you know? Yeah, I, I definitely agree. You know, you can't have, like, six or seven teams from China and Korea and limit the number of uh, teams from other regions. However, with that said, I get where he's coming from. I totally understand the salt because he's like, bro, they didn't even win a best of five. Yeah. And they're um... a fourth seed. Exactly. Um, I do think, though, obviously the longer league goes on, the bigger it will become. And I would imagine that, you know, we've already seen them expand the world championship from like the playing stage didn't even exist five, five years ago. And, you know, league's been around for this is the 12th world championship. So I could definitely envision changes in the future, maybe not necessarily the near future, like at the next worlds or the one after that. But maybe by like 2025, 2026, we see like more teams added, another stage added, more seeds from, you know, some of the bigger regions. And if for whatever reason we see like NA or EU expansions down the line, like if NA and EU, let's just like for a hypothetical sake, let's just say they, in, you know, increase to 15 teams and we already know the LPL is at 18, maybe they're at 24 and the LCK, maybe they go up to 16. So I, I could imagine Worlds being a bigger event in terms of there being more team involvement and an additional stage created, maybe. However, where we are right now, I think four from a region is definitely the max. I wouldn't want any more than that. So, sorry, Doin B. <clears throat> tough shit. I got lost for a little bit of a, a little second there when you said 2025, 2026. In my head, I'm like, that's not a real year. That's like, <laughs> that's like a decade away. Hey, bro. In everyone's nope. mind, it's still Actually, 2020. <laughs> Also, COVID I think there's only been up. 11 world championships, right? Because technically the first one wasn't like a full world thing, right? Wasn't it just like NAEU, the first one? Um, Which is why people are always saying that Fnatic didn't win worlds, you know? They won whatever it was. I mean, it was still worlds, but I get your point. I don't think it was. If Korea and China's not there, I can't call it worlds. Yeah, what do they call no it then? No offense to Europe. I don't know. I don't know what they called it. If it's called the World Championship, then it was the World Championship. World Season 1. But it's, season 1 World but it's Championship. Not, but it's not yeah, World. But they, like, that's not the same thing of what we're dealing with. The here. game wasn't available. So what do you, what do you mean here? Like, no, I know that. I know that. It was the World Championships. I'm looking at the Wikipedia page right now. World Season 1. Season 1 World Championship. League of Legends <laughs> Season 1 Championship. Called. I'm not arguing what it was called. I'm just saying. I'm arguing I'm that saying. it's not the same tournament. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Anything else? Um, no. Oh, wait. Yeah. Sorry. There is. What the fuck? I thought, like, <laughs> I thought you meant, like, is there anything else, like, with regards to that topic? But there's more quick news. Yes. I don't know what you were asking. Okay. But we got uh, two more things. One, Champions Q. It's back for Worlds. How awesome. 
Uh, kind Beast. of a, a lot of people were memeing it because in the Lolly Esports article, right at the bottom, it said, "We're ready for RJS versus Faker." Are you? That yeah, is so am I. <laughs> that is a fucking meme, dude. RJS ego is going to get out of control if he beats Faker in Champions Q. Dude, I would love to see it happen. It would be hilarious. Dude, I know, I know. Everyone he'll... just wants him to get hard clapped. I know everyone hates RJS, but like, wouldn't that be so funny if he actually did? I don't know. I mean, to yeah. me, I, I think it's a win-win. Honestly, I think I think he either destroys Faker and we're all laughing about it, or he gets hard clapped and we're like, duh, you dumbass. Like, I don't know. I, I you can't lose if you ask me. Um. So uh, Straight just plugging in the live chat asking how does it work? Um, yeah, so they announced New York City and whatnot. They said in the article when I'm talking about uh, bringing Champions Cube back, they're actually moving the servers to mm-hmm. the respective location that they're at. So when they're in Mexico City for the plans, they're playing on servers very close to Mexico City. When they're in New York, I believe they said they're going to be playing on the Chicago servers. And when they're in uh, LA, they're obviously going to be in uh, on the the previous servers so they're, they're still trying to make it a, that they're going to move it to mexico city because like aren't not all the teams are going to want to go to mexico no yeah if i mean automatically into groups from my understanding and stuff that i've heard on social media and streams teams that are flying into north america are all arriving super late so for mm. to use planes as an example i briefly was on the i will dominate co-stream this past weekend he had niski on his stream he's on mad lines obviously and Niski mm-hmm. said that they're not flying to Mexico City until the 24th, which is five days before it starts. So so you're saying they may as well just start when they're in New York then is what you're saying? Because that's well, kind of what I'm saying. No, I, I guess my point is that, you know, it's it'll be utilized not as much as probably in the past, like people play solo queue and whatnot. But what the time when, for the time that the teams are there, they're going to be using it. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Anyways, I think that's cool. I remember asking that on Hotline League, and then someone brought up the idea of servers, and I was like, oh, yeah, I guess that's just not going to happen. And then it did end up happening, so that's pretty sweet. Um, what's the last thing on Quick News, Docket? Uh, last thing, for people that always enjoy the world's music and songs and whatnot, apparently the rumor is Lil Nas X is going to be involved with Worlds this year, whether that's the world song or opening ceremonies or a performance or something like that, but... I would imagine they they could probably do some cool things with him because let's just say his music videos are quite extravagant. Yeah, I don't know much about his music. You know, I'm not, but I, I like if I know about him, <laughs> then he, he's out there. You know, what's that? Oh god, what's the fucking song? Is like Montanero or something? Know. Go look up the music video for that song. I don't know what that song is, but. I still get the feeling that I know what you're talking about anyways, because yeah, there's, I I hear things. Montero. I don't don't even know what it's called. It's like Montanero or Montero. Go watch that music video. If you want to see some whack shit. (laughs) No, I'm good. (laughs) If you're ever bored, that's, that's some content for you. Yeah. All right. That's it for this episode uh geez episode 100 man i can't believe there's actually already 100 episodes i feel like we timed it pretty good uh, with summer split ending and yeah seriously yeah actually, we're, we were big branding this um, thing from the beginning just just a huge shout out to those that have been sticking with us and even our new listeners as well like we really really appreciate you guys that i don't know I, words can't do it i can't i don't know how to say all this shit without sounding too cheesy but 
much much appreciated you guys sticking with us much appreciated the support we do read all the comments so we do see all the nice messages and i try to reply um even on shit on twitter as well we we get all that stuff and that stuff does actually keep us going um no meme so really really appreciated um next week no episode right jnt we're taking a break yeah i mean like i said unless some random like some big news comes out like I don't think we'll be doing one because we got about two and a half weeks until the beginning of the world championship Planes start on the 29th. Therefore we have a week of nothingness. So we will do an episode before play and start. So two weeks from now, and it's probably going to come out on Monday. Uh, J and T will be at a different location. And so he'll be streaming as per usual. Um, Cause he's just the guy that runs our streams. Um, we don't think there should be any problems, but he is on new internet. So like, well, I guess we'll cross any bridge when we get to it, but everything should be pretty good to go. Um, yeah. And then we'll be back and hopefully things will be back to normal and we don't have to struggle with uh, so-so internet anymore. Eh, Jinther? Yeah. Knock we on need wood. better internet. Thanks. Uh, thanks for the, the messages in live chat guys. Uh, much, much appreciated. Um, okay uh enjoy the week off i guess i uh, hope you guys all enjoyed playoffs and uh yeah we will see you guys in a couple of weeks this has been episode 100 of the clown fiesta podcast goodbye